Welcome to the third episode of Counter Voices. Today's podcast begins to unpack the diversity literacy galaxy model that some call the motherload or tsunami of language connected to diversity. The goal of the model, created in 2007 by our guest Jorge Prosperi, is to provide awareness and confidence so as to freely dialogue about diversity. The entire model can be found on the website diversitythreads.com. My name is Gloria Lapata Prosperi, and this is Counter Voices. To begin, Jorge, can you speak to the genesis of the model? How exactly did it come about? I believe that it was the immensity of diversity that captured my undivided attention. The process of acclimation and assimilation I was going through personally and professionally, let me provide a a metaphor to explain. It was like discovering the vastness of the Patagonia. With each step, I discovered more to examine and, and learn. The word Patagonia is but one word, and yet it represents an immense geographic reality of nature. The Patagonia is some 310,000 square miles of deserts, mountains, glaciers, islands, wetlands, plants, and wildlife. The immensity is overwhelming. Diversity is one word as well, and yet it is immense as to the depth and breadth of its meaning and reality. So tell us, how does the study of diversity with all of its different layers take place? It requires time, patience, research, study, and constant observation. It is not about an event or a cluster of events, but an ongoing process. There is no finish line. This is important to understand by institutions with diversity committees, coordinators, as well as human resource departments who are constantly addressing diversity. There is no magic wand that will instantaneously institutionalize inclusivity, equity, tolerance, and of course, mutual respect. The same goes for America. It is a process connected to democracy, citizenship, and our humanity. Keep in mind that throughout the ages, diversity has been examined by countless scholars, as well as visual and performing artists each probing, dissecting, and expanding the definitions and meanings. And yet, for most of us, diversity remains an enigma. So, given all the work that you've done on diversity, do you consider diversity to be definable? It all depends, Gloria, on the lens we look through. A lazy, simplistic definition of diversity is to define it as difference, the other, opposite, not the same. This immediately brings into question predispositions about such definitions. I contend that the definitions of diversity are constructed by what and how we learn and come to believe about diversity, differences, and otherness. The definitions are learned from birth. It begins at home, how we are raised, where we are raised. Our identity begins to be imprinted at the earliest of ages, and so does the view of the world. I do not believe that we are born racist, sexist, anti-Semitic, or xenophobic. So to answer your question, the definition of diversity begins with the early development of self. 
Thank you for that. I understand that a major challenge was not only the ongoing construction of the model, but also how to present it. Is that so? Yes. The added challenge in creating a diversity model was to also provide an image, a metaphor, an instrument that would yield a sense of diversity's complexity and at the same time be engaging and inviting further examination so that we can freely and openly discuss the subject. What I try to focus upon is to counter the fear, the apprehension of approaching the subject. Therefore, suspend defining the term, allow it to breathe, allow it to speak to us. So to clarify, you wanted to create an image or a metaphor that could neutralize the fear and hesitation when approaching the subject. Yes. We know as educators, graphic designers, marketers, entertainers, we know that images and metaphors help to conceptualize, make connections. The challenge was to settle on an image that would represent the immensity of diversity. As I pondered the challenge, I decided that there was only one image that would suffice, the image of the universe. I'm sure that Neil deGrasse Tyson will smile upon hearing this. The goal would be to think of diversity as we think of the universe. First, to acknowledge its presence and develop an awareness and respect by seeking and delving into its wonders. The James Webb Space Telescope revealed realities that have shaken our perception of the universe. Likewise, I posit that diversity holds realities that are waiting to be discovered that will free us from predispositions about our humanity and the human condition. But, as Galileo did, do we dare to look through the telescope? Cognizant awareness can be the first step and seeking the truth. Okay, let's get into it. First, the model is divided into five parts. Five galaxies orbiting around the central core of diversity. Now, it's important to note that while each galaxy is unique, the elements within the galaxy and the galaxies themselves are all interconnected. The five galaxies are, number one, ID entity, identifiers from the eye perspective. Number two, knowledge bases and lenses, validity and credibility. Number three, socializing agencies, or the social curricula. Number four, meta narratives, And number five, social constructs, ideologies, beliefs, values, phobias, and isms. Let's begin with the first one, what you call the ID entity. Why did you decide to dissect the word into two parts? I believe that the majority of conversations on diversity are connected to our identity. That is, viewing the world and speaking from the eye lens. It is not a typo that I decided to name the first galaxy the ID-entity in order to emphasize the singular importance of the ID as an identifier, for example, I am a human being, I am a son, I am a father, I am a husband, I am, and then we fill in the blank. But there is also an entity, its existence, the vital force of being of that ID. The framing of 
ID dash entity is based on a host of sociocultural influences that shape our persona. During our early childhood, we become a captive audience to family members, schooling, acquaintances, regional environment, and experience what shapes our concept of self and others. So the ID entity galaxy is also referred to as social identifiers. Can you speak to this? Yes, the term sociocultural identifiers has a history. The terminology and concepts evolved. For example, roughly from the 1960s to the 1980s, we were talking about the following identifiers called the Big Eight. Ability, age, ethnicity, gender, race, religion, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status. Then the Big Eight expanded with the Little Four. Situational factors, geographic origin, marital status, physical appearance. What followed was an expansion of identifiers in the 21st century. The list in 2022 has tripled and continues to grow via ongoing research and counter-voices that provide added layers of knowledge, understanding, and call for inclusivity. Well, I imagine that the list of identifiers provided on the website could lead to some very meaningful conversations. But correct me if I'm wrong. An individual could have a few identifiers, while another person could have a multitude, given their age, gender, status, etc. And each person may prioritize their list differently. Absolutely. And this is why such lists can become meaningful discussion points. Let me provide an example. While facilitating a college workshop, students and faculty saw on a screen a list of identifiers as provided by the website model. The students and teachers were asked to identify with each one or more of uh, the identifiers and prioritize them as to which ones were the most relevant in their lives. Most students noticed that while they prioritized each differently, their identifiers coincided with the majority of their peers until a student in a wheelchair began to share his list which connected to not only a few, but the majority of the identifiers. It was a lengthy explanation. He shared that his list was established at birth as a paraplegic. The process of experiencing at an early age a reality that he may not ever walk again or run like others. He also took time explaining how he had to learn and relearn how he was perceived, not only looked at, but stared at. This happened at different stages of his life, from childhood to adolescence to adulthood. He went on to explain that his identifiers were not only based on the reality of being in a wheelchair, but there were also invisible identifiers that constantly needed to be addressed. These were emotional and psychological identifiers. Upon finishing, there was a silent pause and much journaling. What occurred 
was that other students began to rethink about their hidden identities and by choice began to share them with others. And a discussion pursued. For, ex for example, a student said, I am frustrated by ADD. I am dyslexic. And then, I am living with trauma. I am dealing with loss. I was a victim of sexual assault. I am fearful of being a young black man. I am a cancer survivor. I was a victim of domestic violence. The I am for some became the I was, noting why I am at this point. A reflection of invisible lingering trauma. It was a moment in time when the essence of diversity took center stage as to the layers of our identities and its relationship to the past, not only to the present. Students became aware that they were not alone in their sense of identity. Such discussions are invaluable because of their impact on awareness and empathy. Voicing stories can leave an indelible impression on mind, heart, and spirit. But those moments remain silent if we don't make an effort to engage in order to understand the frailness of the human condition. That was very interesting. We're going to move on now to the second galaxy, which is knowledge-based critical lenses that you state lead to validity and credibility. Can you explain to us why this is the second galaxy to explore? Let me return to our dear friend Galileo, who was one of the fathers of observational astronomy, modern physics, and the scientific method. He looked through new lenses that provided acuity of the universe, but he needed knowledge and evidence, validation to establish credibility and trust. This he provided. Galileo did not make up his findings. These were not conspiracy theories or tweets about the universe. He used knowledge bases, not opinions. The critical lenses provided in this section of the diversity model are critical tools by which to examine all aspects of diversity. Like an MRI, an electron microscope, these knowledge bases examine the layers, the depth, and breadth of diversity. Now imagine if Galileo viewed the universe in 2022 through the James Webb Space Telescope. The same as diversity. We can't think of human beings as we did in the 18th or 19th centuries. Like the universe, we are constantly evolving and changing, and therefore the way we study and view diversity has changed dramatically. And I believe most of the time we are catching up to its complexities. Now, you also share on the website many, many different knowledge bases. And among them is critical race theory. And that most certainly has come under attack in the past year by one of our political parties and regions of the country. Can you speak to the controversy regarding this critical lens? Gloria, I was surprised to hear that only one of the critical lenses that are mentioned in the model have been targeted. What really is being attacked is critical thinking and critical pedagogy. 
As presented in the model, critical race theory is only one of many knowledge bases. Only one. But I was not surprised by the pushback. Not even surprised as to who and when and where. In this respect, not much has changed from the late 1800s. Old prejudices, biases, fears, and phobias linger. Attacks on critical race theory are not new. The attacks emerge during President Obama's first campaign as he was criticized as a student at Harvard for his support and respect for Derrick Bell, who was a scholar, law professor, Harvard's law's first black tenured professor and major contributor of CRT. Dr. Bell, along with other academics, connected the dots between race, racism, and American law. Now, one of the major components of critical race theory is dealing with social justice, equity, and the rule of law. And it unequivocally states that, yes, in America, race matters. Like it or not, know it or not, vote for it or not, race matters. Critical race theory critically examines history, particularly the Civil Rights Act. Therefore, CRT becomes uncomfortable for those who deny, deflect, or whitewash the history of America. And for some parents and school boards, it becomes very uncomfortable when students are asked to critically examine the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, as it applies to democracy, inclusivity, and equity. Critical race theory does not shame or blame, but pursues the truth and a major element of truth, transparency. The victims, the true victims of revising history or denying it, are the children that upon graduation from high school or college begin to realize that they were victims of isolation, revisionism, intolerance, asked to become accessories to ignorance. And as adults, then have to face the realities of living with equity and inclusivity in the 21st century. Okay, we're going to move on to the next galaxy for exploration, which are socializing agencies called the social curriculum that impacts us on a daily basis that take place outside of the home. Yes. Identity is shaped first by our family, but then society quickly becomes our home away from home. During adolescent years, and as adults, each agency provided on the website impacts each of us in different ways and degrees. Again, this is an excellent exercise to name the social and cultural influences that created our perceptions of the world and its inhabitants. And then compare, contrast, and share such influences with others. Well, we've explored three of the galaxies so far. We've explored identifiers, knowledge bases, and social agencies, giving us lots to discuss, discern, and discover about ourselves, each other, and also, as you stress, finding all the similarities that we share. 
Now we're going to move to the next galaxy orbiting around diversity, and that's what you refer to as meta-narratives. I found this galaxy to be most relevant because it challenges the in-depth awareness of terms. Each term, if taken at face value, seems simplistic and common knowledge, an acceptable truism. But under a microscope, layers and dimensions begin to appear. Can you expand on that, please? Meta-narratives influence beliefs, values, and social behavior. I make clear that for this model, and this model alone, meta-narratives are grand narratives, stories that seek to explain the world and its inhabitants within the scope of overarching grand stories, or narratives. These overarching stories have been constructed and over time have been politicized and radicalized, in some cases bastardized and also diluted. One feature of a meta-narrative is the abstraction from time, place, and culture. We hear or read the words, but seem to not be able to get our heads and emotions around these narratives. We begin echoing these narratives to one another without thinking or examining them. They become embedded and marketed as national truisms. They can create delusions of superiority as to what segment of society are worthy and entitled to rule. In other words, these narratives can dictate what segment of society can tell the official stories that are promoted to be the absolute true stories. When politicized, meta-narratives can justify and normalize division and promote exclusion. Therefore, each narrative requires scrutiny as to their history and their veracity. Can each of these narratives be debated? Absolutely, and I strongly advise to do so. This is when we can begin to amplify our perspectives and perceptions and begin to understand that these narratives are not absolute and not the same for everyone. Each meta-narrative mentioned in the model can provide healthy discourse. Can you provide an example? Sure. Let's, let's do an MRI on meritocracy. This one word can lead to hours of discussion and heated debate. We could create a course on it. It supposedly means on the basis of merit. The word implies that a person goes through a process in order to arrive at an outcome. There is a general impression that if we work hard, pull ourselves from our bootstraps, yet another meta-narrative, we will merit what we have earned. This typically means opportunities in the future. Now, meritocracy with a capital M is connected to how a democracy deals with the concept of meriting. Some would argue that meritocracy is one tenet of how a democratic society is governed. It means earning one's way fairly and justly. 
but under the microscope, as you said, dissecting the word and meaning, we find that the word is connected to, and here we go, history, status, class, gender. Want to hear about meritocracy? Talk to women. Connected to what? Legislation. Who benefits? Voting rights, reparations, health care, college admissions, hiring practices, promotions, nepotism, race, language, ESL, the law, education, and terminology like the well-connected, a level playing field. And how about moving the goalposts farther or nearer, depending on what team is kicking the field goal? Or how about, Gloria, you and me running the 100-yard dash, with me starting on the 20-yard line and you beginning at the starting line? What about the contentious debate on affirmative action? What about those who feel that they were truly assisted by affirmative action? But wait, what about those who feel they were victimized by affirmative action? Do their stories matter? Or is this only a one-way conversation? All voices must be heard. You see, there is a constant pull and push to each of these narratives. These narratives can become highly controversial. They can create lingering, unresolved grievances that become prejudicial and accusatory. They, begin, they can begin to color our view of each other. Therefore, each meta-narrative meta is unique and most important. We need to ask, who is controlling the narrative and by what means? Who is at the table of discourse and who has been left out? So you see, most often we are left with critical questions that we must try to answer together with each voice represented and respected. Hope this helps. Yes, it certainly did. And now we're going to move on to the last galaxy surrounding diversity, which is called social constructs, concepts, ideologies, phobias, and isms. You state that these are the most controversial. Why do you say that? Well, our identity is based on what we believe to be true about ourselves. That identity is constructed. Social constructs can become challenging to discuss because at times they deal with isms and phobias and therefore tend to be controversial. For example, dealing with the components and layers of racism is highly complex and not just a matter of black or white. For example, the layers of racism, systemic, institutional, overt, covert, science of race, racism by the well-intended. Such a discussion is not a walk in the park. Each term has a history and context, but it doesn't end there. The next step is to pursue the connections between racism, sexism, homophobia, and xenophobia, and other such constructs. By the way, they all come from the same cesspool of fear, ignorance, and hate. 
What is important to understand about social constructs is that the very mention of one word or concept can be interpreted and per- interpreted as a direct attack on identity. What do I mean by that? A discussion on racism does not mean that we are accusing someone of believing or identifying with being a racist. Therefore, such discussions can quickly go sideways. This is why knowledge presented at the earliest of ages clarifying the meaning of prejudice and bias at home and at school is strongly recommended. Discussions on such constructs, their roots, should not be avoided or denied. Avoidance during our adolescent years only makes discussions as adults more difficult. A goal of all citizens should be to deconstruct social, cultural isms and phobias that limit society from authenticating and amplifying the meaning of our democracy and citizenship. But I would challenge that not all citizens want or would vote for authenticating and amplifying the Constitution, Bill of Rights, Rule of Law, but rather view expanding voting rights and inclusivity is a threat to maintaining power and control. You make an excellent point, and you are right. America has lived with the paradox of equal but separate. But we have persevered, and I believe we have evolved. It's the 21st century, for goodness sake. Yes, evolved slowly, some would say at the speed of a glacier. We may not see the movement, but it's moving. Keep in mind that America is an adolescent country with a unique declaration and principles of democracy. America's bones are still growing, its mind, heart, and spirit still emerging. I firmly believe that future generations will continue to move forward with diligence and courage. Also, a democracy provides choices, not limits them or obstructs them, we can choose to correct lingering issues. We can do this. We can choose to enhance with every opportunity the quality of life for future generations. That is what is at stake for all of us, the quality of life. The past does not have to dictate the present or future. That is our choice to make. Well, the model is certainly a massive undertaking that you state continues and is ongoing. How would you summarize the meaning and significance of the model? Gloria, the universe will continue to exist beyond our lifetime. Diversity, likewise, will continue. At this time, we can only discover and explore the wonders of the universe by way of microscopes, and lenses. But human diversity does not exist beyond the stars. It lives and breathes among us. The universe and diversity are realities that deserve recognition and acceptance beyond tolerance. Both call for awareness, appreciation, examination, and respect. Both require lenses that shape the acuity of our vision of Earth 
as part of the universe and diversity as part of our humanity. Thank you so much. We urge our audience to go to diversitythreads.com in order to view the entire model. Because regardless of the number of times these concepts are discussed and examined, there's always one peripheral element that's discovered with its own core, providing greater awareness of diversity's immensity. Thank you so much, Jorge, for this discussion. And as always, a sincere thanks to Alan Contino, executive producer and chief engineer of Delirium Networks, and to Nancy Gage and Anthony Baez for the graphic designs on the website and podcast. And lastly, our sincere thanks to each of you for joining us. I'm Gloria Lapata Prosperi, and you have been listening to Counter Voices. Counter Voices.